understanding as I read the word, uh, looking at, at uh, one verse, Matthew chapter 11, or chapter 6, verse 11, uh, this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Please be seated. So, beloved, our, our gracious creator provides for the bodily needs of his creation, whether they acknowledge his gifts or not. And, and so, as Christians, what should this do for us? Well, it should uh, cause us to raise up our hearts always in gratitude. As we seek God for our daily provisions... We should be thankful. Now, we saw that last time. Now, there's more to say about this, but we'll move on. Um, in, in the year, well, just before uh, he was martyred in the year 258, Cyprian of Carthage preached on the Lord's Prayer. And, <clears throat> and this is one of the things that he said. He said, when we stand for prayer, most beloved brethren, we should be alert and intent on our petitions with a whole heart. Let every carnal and worldly thought depart, and let the mind dwell on nothing other than that alone for which it prays. Therefore, the priest also, before his prayer, prepares the minds of the brethren by first uttering a preface, saying, lift up your hearts. And so when the people respond, we lift them up to the Lord, they may be admonished, that they should ponder on nothing other than the Lord. Now, <clears throat> in that statement, Cyprian wasn't just looking at what our attitude and prayer ought to be. That is, that we ought to be uh, wholehearted in it, that we ought to be alert and intent as we pray. But he also says something else. He said that when we are praying, uh, give us this day our daily bread, we are to actually be seeking God's help and lifting our hearts to heaven while throwing off worldly thoughts. Indeed, he said we ought to use physical blessings to further spiritual ends. And so I want us to look at this uh, fourth petition yet one more time before we move to the fifth by, by, by looking at that very thought. Um, the fourth petition is a rather difficult verse to interpret because the Greek word that is translated as daily, give us this day our daily bread, that Greek word is a very, very rare word indeed. It's epiousios. And in fact, that word is only found in two places in the New Testament. It's found here in verse 11 in chapter 6, and then in the Lucan version of the Lord's Prayer, chapter 11, verse 3. And the thing is, also, epiousios is, is, is a rare word even in extra-biblical, secular Greek writings. And because it's so rare, then scholars want to know what it meaning really is. And, and so they, they try to look at its etymology, but they're not finding much help there either because, to be quite honest, it, uh, the, the epiousios could come from two uh, root words. Perhaps epiousios derives from the Greek word to be. So that the meaning would be here as we have it, uh, give us the bread that is for today. 
or it could come from uh, uh, another Greek word that means to go or to come, depending on the context, to go or to come. So that the meaning here would be then, give us the bread of the coming day. Which then puts a, an eschatological cast to it. Uh, give us today a foretaste of the heavenly banquet to come. So in the title of my sermon, Eschatological Bread, I'm getting that from, from that understanding of the word epiousios. Um, Jerome translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into Latin. And when he came to Matthew chapter 11, or chapter 6, verse 11, he translated epiousios into uh, super substantial bread. <laughs> uh, so because uh, what, what Jerome understood was that uh, Jesus was teaching his, his disciples to pray for a spiritual bread, a bread that fed the soul. And, and so he understood that Jesus was, was teaching us to pray for the sacramental bread of the Lord's Supper. And that particular interpretation actually helped the Roman Catholic Church accept the teaching of transubstantiation. And of course, you'll know that that is the doctrine that believes that the bread literally becomes Christ's body, that the blood or the wine literally becomes his blood. But it's interesting that while Jerome translated uh, Epiusios here in Matthew 6 as supersubstantial bread, when he translated that same word in Luke chapter 11, verse 3, it went to daily bread. Again, it's because it's a very difficult word. How do you translate it? But, but there in Luke chapter 11, verse 3, he translated it daily bread. And so the time of the Reformation, as uh, Protestants rejected the doctrine of transubstantiation, they incorporated uh, Jerome's Lucan interpretation of Epiusius, and they put that back into Matthew. So the petition then again comes back as we have it, that it seeks the divine provision for our temporal and uh, material needs. So that's kind of the background of this verse. There's, there's, it's not an easy verse, and there has been some, uh, some mixtures of it. But, but I, I agree, though, that the petition takes... Our, our physical and our temporal needs into account. Because again, as we've mentioned before, that God is a good God and, and he created us body and soul and he wants to provide also for our bodies, not just our spirits. And so I think that as we pray this prayer, yes, it does take into account our physical needs. But I'm also convinced that the petition does have an eschatological and spiritual hope in view. And, and so uh, let, me, let me go through a couple of things with you now. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, or actually uh, verse 12. Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says there, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, most assuredly, Paul prayed the Lord's Prayer. He prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And yet he tells us in that verse that he went hungry, that sometimes he suffered need. 
If Paul ever went hungry, if Paul ever suffered need, did God not answer his prayers? But if Paul was, was praying that prayer, give us this day our daily bread with a spiritual hope and a heavenly view, then whether he got his physical needs met or not, he could always assert that God sustained him with Christ's power so that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So again, what I'm saying there is that as Paul uh, confessed that he went that he has learned to, to go without and to, to rejoice with what he had different times in his life. He was rejoicing that he had a spiritual hope, that he was being fed with spiritual bread, as it were. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul boasted in the Macedonians. And, and, and he writes this. He says, in a very great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, uh, these Macedonian saints were afflicted, as he says, with deep poverty. The, 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 the Greek word there for that word poverty, it's, it's a deep, overwhelming, extreme poverty. And yet they showed their love to their Jewish brethren by giving to their physical needs. And they gave beyond their ability to give from their own small resources. Now, how do you give beyond your ability unless they were first sustained by a bread that came from the heavenly table? In other words, I believe that these Christians had such an eschatological and heavenly perspective on life that even while they themselves were in great need and while they were in poverty and they needed someone to give to them, yet they could joyfully give of their own earthly treasures they can give that away because their hope was in heaven. They were being fed with spiritual bread, a spiritual strength. I'm going to go to another passage. I'm going to go back to Philippians chapter 3 this time, where in verses 19 and 21, Paul mentions this. He says, For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And so what Paul is doing is he's contrasting uh, the enemies of the cross to ourselves. These enemies of the cross only thought of their material needs. Their appetite was their bellies. But Paul said that we, on the other hand, are to be focused in our heavenly citizenship. While these enemies of the cross 
set their mind on earthly things, we are to set our minds on heavenly things. Even as we await the return of our Savior. We are not to be like those whose whole orientation is earthly. We are to be heavenly minded. And, and so we go back to the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Where, where those three petitions uh, concerned itself first with God's glory, then his kingdom, and then his will. And so now when we go to praying for our daily bread, are we to suddenly shift gears and to think of our material needs? Again, knowing that we are citizens of heaven, that enables us, doesn't it, to live humble lives and to suffer if we're called upon? to give ourselves over to the service of others, even as Christ himself humbled himself before he was exalted? Because of this heavenly hope, because that we're united with Christ and that we're hidden with Christ in the heavenly places, we should give all that God gives to us to further the kingdom so that his name be glorified. But let's look at this even a little bit more. Back in, I think that uh, Exodus chapter 16 stands as something of a background to the fourth commandment, or fourth petition here. Now, you'll remember in Exodus chapter 16, uh, verse 4, God said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out, shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So there God says, I'm going to give them manna, but this manna is given so that I will see whether or not they're going to follow my instruction, whether they're going to be obedient or they're not going to be obedient. Now, in Psalm 78, that bread is even further described. Listen to this. Psalm 78, verses 24 and 25. Uh, there it says, He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. That's an amazing statement. But, but here again, this is, I think this sets the background of what Jesus is saying, that, that praying for manna, as it were. Of course, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that manna was a type of Christ, and he's the one that we're to be yearning for. He's the bread of heaven. But again, God tested the Israelites with this manna, they failed the test because they wanted something better. Isn't that interesting? They had the food of angels. They had the bread of angels, and they wanted something better. They were given the bread of angels, and they longed for the leeks and onions of Egypt. <laughs> like the enemies of the cross that Paul mentioned, these Israelites were more earthly-minded than they were heavenly-minded. And so they sought for earthly things. They failed the test. In John, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus makes this connection. Remember, in, in John uh, 5, 6, he, he, fed the, he fed the multitudes with a few loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and the crowds followed him because of the, that miraculous feeding. And then John chapter 6, Jesus turned and he rebuked them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate 
of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're not seeking me for spiritual reasons. You are seeking me because you have earthly appetites. Do not work for the food which perishes, he said, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then in verse 32, John 6, John says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God which comes down out of heaven and gives life, to the world. In other words, Jesus pointed to himself, I am the bread of heaven. I'm the one that the Father sent, and I'm the one who gives you eternal life. And in that same passage, John or Jesus quotes Psalm 78 to show them that they, in fact, were very much like their fathers. Their fathers ate food that God gave them, but they failed to understand what that food meant. They were so bothered and they were so hungry for the earthly that they never saw the spiritual heavenly. These people wanted a Messiah to feed their fleshly desires. Freedom from Rome, right? Uh, An establishment of a luxurious kingdom where no one felt any want, where there's always an abundance of extravagant comforts. But Jesus in chapter 6 and in other places, he explains that he didn't come to this world to give them that. No, what he came to do is to give them heavenly life, eternal life, his life. He gives us spiritual strength, that that strength that we need to live in a heavenly way. And so to pray the fourth petition with that understanding, I think, means that we need to examine our heart to see if we're more like those Jews or, or... People, again, will pour their hearts into all kinds of endeavors and intellectual pursuits to distract themselves from their true created purpose. Why were we made? We were made to glorify God. We were made to have fellowship with God. But instead of pursuing God, so many will chase the idols of the heart. People will use things to satisfy their lust and their pleasures with nary a thought of God. And even as believers, can't we get so carried away in our day-to-day living that we often forget that there's something greater and better than this world? And yet, 1 John chapter 2 warns us, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all that's not from the Father, it's from the world. But listen, folks, the world is passing away and also it's lust. The one who does the will of God lives forever. And what is the will of God? You don't have to go too far. We can go back to John chapter 6, though. Verse 40 clearly tells us, this is the will of my Father. Jesus tells us very clearly, this is God's will. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up in the last. That's God's will. That we have eternal life as we come to Christ and that we will be raised up in the last day. Jesus is the bread of heaven. He's the one that imparts real and eternal life to all who take him by faith. I I, I read recently, uh, I was going through a a devotional of, uh, of writings from Jonathan Edwards, I came across this statement that he said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. 
To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the ocean. You see, and I, and I think that another dimension to pray in the fourth petition is to ask God to feed us with Christ so that we can enjoy something of God's glorious presence even today. That we can have a foretaste of heaven daily as we seek him. Again, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer follows just after the account of Mary and Martha. And you recall Mary and Martha, right? Jesus is teaching. Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Martha, Luke says, was distracted with all her preparations. Martha is busy doing this and busy doing that, running back and forth, trying to make sure that everyone is accommodated, everyone is, is fed, everyone is well drunk or drinking. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so there she is, distracted. And then, and then and in her frustrations, Lord, won't you tell my sister to help me? And remember what Jesus said to her? Ah, oh, Martha, Martha, you are so worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, and that will not be taken from her. And see, what Jesus was calling Martha to remember, I think, was that she is a heavenly creature. Don't get bothered. All these distractions, yeah, they may be necessary. Yeah, it helps her our comforts. But there's only one thing necessary. And what's that necessary thing? To hear the word of the Lord. In fact, I think Jesus was referencing Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God told the Israelites uh, that, that he fed them with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of, of the Lord. Manna, again, was to lead them to the Lord's word. So let us not miss how our own daily provisions should lead us to Christ. Again, my concern here is that we can forget God because we get so busy. As a pastor, you wouldn't think that's possible. You're always in the Bible. You're always preparing for sermons and Bible studies and praying and counseling people. How can you forget God? Well, I can. I get so busy with the details that I forget God. It's a shame, but I'm not the only one I know. When things don't go our way, what do we do? We grumble and we murmur. The fourth petition reminds us that having fellowship with Jesus is the cure to all that. He is the cure to our anxiety for tomorrow. He's the cure of our guilt and our struggles. He's the cure for everything that we go through. I don't, how many of you know who A.B. Simpson is? A.B. Simpson was a friend of A.W. Tozer. Uh, he was a Nova Scotian, and uh, 
he, he helped to establish the Christian Missionary Alliance. But anyway, A.B. Simpson once wrote this. He said, the reason why multitudes of Christians are famished and, and feeble is because they're trying to live upon the husk and the fruits of this world. They're longing for the flesh pots of Egypt or the quails of lust and are weary with simple bread of, and are weary of the simple bread of God. They, they feed on men's philosophies, the protoplasms of materialism, I like that statement, the sensationalism of the novel, or the husk of the market and the stock exchange, instead of the sweet, pure, sustaining word of God. And I think praying this petition is saying, Lord, I want to be more spiritual than material. I want to be seeking your kingdom more than I want to be seeking your earthly realm. The, the previous petitions led us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, with an eye to eternity, with an eye for the consummation of the kingdom and with a view of Christ's return. Beloved, do you not know that you are living on the borderland of eternity? Today you live, tomorrow you die. If you knew that today was your last day, how would you live? There's a, a little book entitled No Such Thing as a Bad Day. And the author of it, uh, Hamilton Jordan, asked a friend who had cancer if he was having a bad day. And, and listen to what his friend replied. He said, when the doctors tell you that you only have three months to live, there's no such thing as a bad day. That's a very profound statement, isn't it? If you know that you only have a limited amount of days, why do we grumble? Why do we complain? Why do we give ourselves for, to frivolous things? If you're living under the certainty of death, give us this day our daily bread. Kind of echoes that, that sentiment that's found in Psalm 90, Moses' prayer, where he said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do you ever think that way? We're not here forever. Lord, our life is but a brief day. Feed us with Christ that we may be content with your providence so that whether we are hungry or filled, we can be satisfied. Give us the abundance of life in Christ. Reveal your love for us through Christ that your kingdom may become more precious to us, that we may live for eternity, because you put eternity in our hearts. Well, shortly after Jesus taught the disciples to pray, in Luke chapter 11, go to the next chapter, chapter 12, Jesus gives the story of a rich man who had a bumper crop. And so he had to build bigger barns to store his new crop. And, and because now he found a sudden wealth, he said, I'm going to take it easy. And I'm going to start eating and drinking and being merry. And he did so until God said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Now, my friends, listen, it is both biblical and wise to, pl to plan for your earthly future. There's no question about that but it's also wrong not to plan for the heavenly future. I was just thinking this last week, I don't know, I heard this proverb a couple of years ago, and for some reason it just kind of popped into my brain again, but there's an old Italian proverb that says, shrouds have no pockets. 
What does that mean? We're all going to die, and guess what? You're not going to take any of this stuff with you. <laughs> I know that God has blessed our lives, and we should be grateful for every blessing he gives to us. We should be grateful that, that we live in a country where we have an abundance. You don't have to travel that far outside of this country to see what we have. Even our poorest are, are, are rich in comparison to many people of the world. But there is no question in my mind also that we have far more than what we need. Now, again, we can be glad for all that blessing. But let's guard our hearts that we don't value the earthly things more than the spiritual things. God gives us so much. And in all this abundance and all these gifts, he wants us to graciously and generously pour ourselves into his kingdom. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Do you not believe that? This petition, the fourth petition, asks God to give us a a foretaste of heaven so that we can live in such a way that that we live for heaven and that he is glorified in all that we do. Again, when we are filled with the bread of heaven, the uh, the world loses its charm, doesn't it? When I'm filled more with Christ, the more I hate sin, the more I love holiness, the more I'm filled with Christ, the, the more I can give of myself. And I could be like those Macedonians who gave out of even their poverty. We're going to come to this verse in a couple of weeks. Uh, Revelation chapter 7. In verses 16 and 7, it promises that they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb is the center on the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away all their tears from their eyes. That's a wonderful promise to have. Cyprian mentioned part of the ancient liturgy just before the the pastor would would pray. He He would call the congregation... Sursum corda, let us lift up our hearts. That call beckons us to acknowledge our absolute depends upon our maker. But it, but it also expresses the longing of the soul in this sin-torn world as we long for the wholeness of the new heavens and the new earth. We are reminded in this fourth petition that we really are heavenly creatures. And it calls us to look forward to that day where we will break bread with our Savior himself face to face. We will never hunger again. Sir, some corda, let us lift up our heads. Let, let's, I want to end with this. I'll do this one more quote. This is from Augustine now. He, he meditated on that, on that liturgy uh, thing. Sir, some corda. And he commented, what is peace? Listen to the apostle. He was talking about Christ. He is our peace, who made both into one. So peace is Christ. Where did it go? He was crucified and buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. There you have where peace went. How am I to follow it? Sir, some corda, lift up your heart. 
Listen how you shall follow. Every day you hear it briefly, you're told, lift up your heart, think about that deeply, and there you are following. Give to us the bread of the coming day. Lift up your heart to heaven. And let that hope sanctify you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you for the bread of heaven, Jesus himself. We thank you that he feeds us, O oh Lord, and that uh, that feeding is not just on Sunday mornings. It's not just once a week. But, Lord, uh, we, we pray this prayer, feed us every day. Let heaven become more and more real for us every day. Let your kingdom come into our lives. Let your will be done in our hearts. But Lord, we pray every day, feed us with the bread of heaven that we might live for you, that we may be nourished to live as heavenly people. Lord, we pray that we would see this. We pray, oh Father, that, that we would come to a greater understanding of our true calling as Christians, as your sons, to live as citizens of heaven, to let the, the world go, to let the concerns of this world depart from us, to be satisfied in all your care for us, that we might set our hearts to heaven and, and march there in good order, that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified even as we feed on him daily in your word. Give us a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.